you do learn so many fabulous and really important things from having a chronic illness that it does guide you in a in actually a really important life direction because you you actually learn the ability to have preventative measures for your overall health and well-being so you know you can help to reduce your risk of other chronic diseases like type 2 diabetes for example and you know you go on this journey of just learning so much and it's it's all self-development at the end of the day so it's trying to kind of see what lessons are there along the way. Well, that's the voice of Lauren Windus. She, like approximately 250,000 people in the UK, suffered with chronic fatigue syndrome. Now a nutritionist, naturopath and co-founder of Ardoray, a holistic well-being company that uses evidence-based science to help others on their own unique journey. I'm Liz Earle and this is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all live a better second half. And my mission is to find ways for us all to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. Now, chronic fatigue syndrome is a spectrum disorder and that essentially means that everyone is affected in very different ways. There are those who are affected mildly. They might be mobile and still at work. While those suffering severely may well be house or wheelchair bound, struggle with things like speech and swallowing and can be very sensitive to light and sound. It's in many ways an invisible illness and is difficult to diagnose. In fact, Lauren, who we'll chat to in just a moment, requested a copy of her medical records while writing her absolutely brilliant book, Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, Your Route to Recovery, and couldn't find any official diagnosis of CFS on file, despite doctors telling her that that's what she was suffering with. So what is CFS? Is there a connection with long COVID? And what strategies does naturopath Lauren recommend now to facilitate recovery? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, welcome, Lauren. And I really want to get into your own experience of chronic fatigue syndrome, CFS, in a moment. But just so we all understand what we're talking about here, what is the medical understanding of CFS? So hi, Liz. Um, So yeah, happy to obviously share a little bit about my story um, in a moment. But so in terms of the medical understanding of CFS, I think the first thing to say is that 
currently it's a very complex condition. Um, the background of chronic fatigue syndrome is that essentially it was once considered as, well, it, many different medical professionals had different views and it was very much for a long time in the past, psychologized. Um, some medics didn't necessarily believe that that CFS actually existed. Um, and now we are coming to an understanding that this is a physical condition, albeit the evidence is, is very complex. And there are various different avenues in terms of how, how it's looking at, how it's affecting the body. And so we don't precisely know exactly what causes chronic fatigue syndrome. I think that's the first thing to say, but we do have some answers. And the way that I, I like to talk about it in the book is that CFS has a three-pronged structure. So first of all, we can look at it from um, these kind of three Ps. And the first P is this kind of predisposition, genetic predisposition. And we do have some evidence to say that there is a genetic um, predisposition to developing chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, and there is actually a UK study at the moment called the Decode um, ME study, which is a UK funded study looking into the genetic lin links of those who, who can go on to develop the illness. The second P is the precipitating triggers. Um, and this is kind of the classic scenario of what happens to people when, when they become unwell with chronic fatigue syndrome. It's that classic never been well since scenario. So that could be, you know, an infectious agent. And for the large majority of the clients that come to see me, it's, you know, a classic infectious trigger, whether it's a virus, most cases a virus, sometimes bacterial, sometimes parasitic. It could also be a surgery. So somebody that's maybe gone in for whether it's breast implant surgery or, you know, a hip replacement or something like that. Traumatic stress, maybe, for example, a car accident or a fall, toxic exposures and vaccination. So these are these are kind of avenues that have all been linked as kind of precipitating triggers as the almost like the straw that broke the camel's back scenario. So so that's kind of the, the second P. And then the third P is very much kind of these perpetuating factors. And this is kind of how we see the illness and how very much how I look at the illness is this this idea of dysregulation. And, and if we think of our body as obviously made up of physiological systems, you know, every time that you breathe, every time that you digest your food or regulate your body temperature or your sleep cycle, we have these different physiological processes at play. What happens in CFS is that we essentially have this dysregulation of these different systems and, and the different systems that have been found to become dysregulated in CFS. And, and in terms of kind of the evidence and what we're looking at is, is we're seeing different, potentially different subgroups of people. And this is where it becomes quite complex in terms of medical understanding, mm. because there may be, if we think of kind of chronic fatigue syndrome as an umbrella, and there are maybe potentially different dysregulations at play in different groups of people, but it could be the case that there are multiple in different groups of people as well. And that's very much kind of how I look at it holistically of working kind of those root drivers with people. Um, but those dysregulations would include things like autonomic nervous system dysfunction, so we do have evidence to show that the body is, in some CFS patients, chronically tipped into this sympathetic nervous system mode, that very much that fight or flight activation. Mm. And then the second kind of dysregulation we see is immune system abnormalities. So this kind of forms part and parcel of, you know, those who potentially have those infectious agents. It might be whether it's potentially SARS-CoV-2 or Epstein-Barr virus, um, that potentially they have 
whether it's a chronic infection or that infection may have cleared from the body, but their body is presenting with an ongoing immune response. We see uh, an increased level of inflammatory cytokines in the body Mm -hmm. um, as well. So so this kind of idea of inflammation, immune dysfunction, and potentially problems with mast cells in some groups of CFS patients. Then the other kind of area is neuroendocrine system imbalances, and that's kind of thyroid insufficiency. So potentially, you know, we do have some evidence of some patients in CFS that have low thyroid hormones in the absence of a hypothyroid uh, condition. Um, It's not to say that the two can't occur together, but we do see that in some CFS cases. And then also low adrenal hormones. So the body being kind of tipped into this fight or flight state can eventually tire out those adrenal glands, resulting in essentially a low level of cortisol where the body is just kind of flatlining. So we have these hormonal issues going on in some patients. And then the other areas we tend to see these dysregulations are mitochondrial dysfunction. And for anybody listening that doesn't know what mitochondria are, these are these tiny little kind of energy factories that that basically live within our cells and they create molecules called ATP. And ATP is our basically kind of like the battery of our cell. It's, it's, it's creating energy for us to, to get by with our day-to-day processes and do everything that we need to do. And there has been some evidence to show that in CFS, we see decreased production of this ATP and also this state of energy demand, which kind of exceeds energy delivery to the point where your body needs this ATP to be produced, but it's not creating it quick enough to deliver it. So that can also link to one of the key features of CFS, which is post-exertional malaise. And um, and I'm sure we'll go on to talk about this in a moment, Liz, but, um, but post-exertional malaise is that kind of classic symptom of where you essentially, you exert yourself and, and it might be the, the fact that you're, you know, your, your level of where you're hitting that, that capacity is kind of ex- you've gone past it um, and it might be lower than you know the threshold than before you were ill and and you just crash with your symptoms so so that's you know you could potentially walk to the other end of your, your garden and you could be in bed for the next day it might not necessarily be you know walking two miles it could be something really simple some some patients of mm. mine it's been you know where they've been in the shower and and they've just showered themselves and then they've crashed because they have been that poorly too exhausted exactly it, it's so complex and there are so many multi factors and and I have to sort of throw my hat in the ring here because regular listeners will know that my eldest daughter Lily has been very very low with a, with a autoimmune disorder CFS for, right. for many many years and yeah. it's beginning to come out and a lot of yeah. one of the reasons I wanted to to talk to you actually is that your book is extraordinary in that it covers so many different things and and we will talk about the practicalities of help in in part two. But I'm interested in that you mentioned this British study, the the ME study. Is there a difference between CFS and ME or has ME kind of been renamed CFS? So, yeah, there's different kind of schools of thought on CFS versus ME. So obviously CFS being chronic fatigue syndrome and ME essentially meaning myalgic encephalomyelitis. And and if we actually break down 
what that word means, it actually refers to muscle pain and inflammation of the brain and spinal cord. And that term was introduced, I think it was by the Lancet in 1955 in the context of an outbreak in a hospital in London. Uh, But it's not actually a pathologically proven explanation of what goes on in this illness. And it's interesting how we kind of stuck with these labels, but they don't always necessarily do a lot to kind of define the condition in a sense. Mm. Um, And I know there's a lot of people that have, you know, discrepancies with the word chronic fatigue syndrome. And I kind of do myself in a way because it's a bit like saying that somebody with Alzheimer's disease has chronic forgetfulness syndrome, because it really trivializes the nature of how debilitating the condition is, because people think, oh, oh, is that just when you're tired all the time? You're just a bit tired. Well, I can remember with Lily, when she, you know, talking about that, that absolute extreme fatigue, she would think she was having a good day if she could actually walk to the end of the road and back. Exactly, yeah. You know, it was it's that serious. And, and luckily now through identifying mast cells and histamine and all of these things, the lightning process, all of this stuff that I know that we'll get on and talk about. Let's come back to your own experience. How did you, how did it manifest itself for you? What was your journey? And I'm so interested to hear how you have managed to heal and come through this. So so my journey started, it was about 10 years ago now, so I'm 29 now when I was 19 when I became unwell. It was in my second year of going into uni and um, I absolutely loved my first year. I was up at Newcastle, I was studying English literature mm. and yeah, as I went into um, my second year, I just remember it was literally the first week back and I remember I had a couple of kind of stressful episodes in the week leading up to it. It was just kind of teenage stuff it was like I had a boyfriend that nearly broke up with me and then randomly had a panic attack which I'd never had before but it felt as though something within me that had kind of I don't know it was just this anxiety um so I had those things kind of going on in the background and I think that led me to catching a viral infection and and I remember it even to this day it was one of the kind of most pronounced flus I'd ever kind of experienced and I'd never you know I felt very very poorly at the time and it just wouldn't budge it's probably took me about let's say three to four weeks to the point where I think I was at that point and I went to the doctors because I felt like maybe I should see somebody about this because this has been going on for quite a while and I never in the past I'd never classed myself as you know quite a sick young girl I was always relatively healthy I I went to the gym maybe three I was quite active three to four times a week and yeah so I went to the doctors and despite the consensus of a viral infection I was given a two-week course of antibiotics and then I went home told to go back home to Yorkshire um, and my mum basically took care of me for a couple of weeks there and as I kind of got rid of those acute viral symptoms you know kind of the stuffy nose the sore throat and all of those things I thought okay I can go back to Newcastle now and and I went and and it was interesting because I thought that I'd be back fighting fit the minute I got back and I was surprised to be going into lectures and I was literally just clock watching because I was like I need to go back to bed and just have a snooze and and it was as though I was like collapsing into the duvets after anything I did it was this sense of that that post-exertional malaise where like anything I did and even mental tasks as well would really drain me so whether it was an upcoming deadline or something I had to do on my studies and I was doing obviously English literature so it was a heck of a lot of reading yeah and and I had all other kinds of symptoms as well so apart from just the fatigue and the the post-exertional malaise 
brain fog. And brain fog is a really kind of terrifying symptom because it's as though you're kind of trapped in the brain of a 70 year old and you think, God, I'm, I'm 19, like what is going on? Yes. And I just remember like, I was in the middle of like having a conversation with somebody and my mind would just go blank. You know, I had trouble kind of finding the right words and, and also just having this mental haze where it was the only way I could relate it and associate it when I was explaining it to people was that it was like having a hangover. Um, you know, when you have that kind of fuzzy headed cotton wool feeling in your brain and you kind of, you know, you, you're awake, but you don't feel quite awake because you've got this <laughs> mental haze. I don't know if you've ever experienced it before. Well, I'm not going to confess to having had that many hangovers, but yes, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. But, yeah. I, I can I can sympathise. Now, I said in the introduction that you had managed to get hold of your doctor's notes from the years of treatment. Yeah. You obviously suspected that something was amiss in the way that you were being treated. Tell us about that. Yeah. And obviously, I had all these different various symptoms. I had gut issues going on as well. And, and I went to the doctor and I was just explaining and for me it was interesting because I was kind of pointing my finger to you know ever since this virus I've, I've never felt well and it was as though my health was just going on on the down and so yeah interestingly I was bouncing around back and forth to different GPs and they were all just kind of doing the tests for things like glandular fever celiac disease Lyme disease everything was coming back negative and then I was given a questionnaire um, and it was, how is your mental health? And Ooh. and it was strange because it it did kind of insult me in a little bit. And it was not to say that there's any shame in having a mental health concern. No, but, it, but, but were doctors saying this is all in your mind? Yes, exactly. And I, mm. and I thought, hang on a second, this isn't this isn't right. And and to be honest with you, I'd kind of at that point just I think as a result of kind of going back and forth and around the houses with different GPs, it was interesting because not one of them ever said to me post-viral chronic fatigue syndrome any really no it wasn't it was only through me googling and then eventually I'd, I'd gone to see a consultant in on Harley Street which my mum had had booked and I think that's mm. where he'd mentioned those words but but then that's kind of what then led me down the alternative route of working with natural health practitioners and and just really exploring lifestyle and dietary approaches um because I wasn't getting anywhere and I did feel very much like I was being and I write, I write in the book about this term called medical gaslighting where you know it, it was as though they, they didn't believe me and then every time I would go and explain and it was this back and forth back and forth for months and months and months mm. and and you just in the end give up but it's really saddening that nobody even said to me at that point you know oh uh, this could be chronic fatigue syndrome and, and and I think well there was a part of me when I did look at it online that that scared me a bit because I did see the words no cure and no hope and and things like that that really kind of I think I didn't want to kind of face up to it so I think that's kind of what led me down that other route. So how clued up are doctors now obviously that's going back not many years but a few years and have you got any advice here on how perhaps to talk to doctors about this if you think this might be an issue for you? So in terms of clued up doctors there definitely are some out there and I would definitely say since COVID I think ears are kind of pricking up to it now 
a lot more than perhaps maybe you know what they would have done in the past um, which is a positive but I do still think that the education isn't there and and of course with CFS it's a diagnosis of exclusion and and it can take three months um, if not longer um, for people to reach a diagnosis even if they do get a diagnosis as I say I never re- received a formal diagnosis even though after looking back for the last 10 years seeing all of this on my records um, in terms of the note-taking and everything there was no formal diagnosis made in terms of kind of educating them, I think I think something needs to be done, you know, within the government to kind of make this become more widespread within medical training. Um, there are some doctors out there that are, you know, and there are obviously specialist kind of clinics out there within the NHS um, that are now starting to kind of deal with post-viral and long COVID and fatigue. But, you know, it's still, I, I'd still say it's quite niche. But in terms of kind of, how, how I'd explain it to a doctor, I'd probably I'd say to take a look at my book because it, it definitely yes. explains, you know, the various different avenues of, of how we navigate it, how we deal with it, how we understand it, because obviously there's so much we do know, there's so much that we don't know. Is there almost any point in playing devil's advocate here? Is there any point in talking to a GP about it if they don't have the tools to help, if they haven't been trained in it? And even if there is training being planned in medical schools, it's going to take a number of decades potentially for that to actually reach out into the wider community. If you say to your doctor, I've looked into this, I think I'm suffering from CFS, are they just going to sort of give you a shrug and say, well, kind of good luck with that then because there's nothing I can help you with? Or are there mainstream treatments that they'll say, oh, okay, great. Yes, of course, we can identify this and this is what I'm going to do to help you. Um, I'd say I'd say it's still important to kind of always, you know, broach everything with your GP. Yeah, obviously there's a lot that they don't know. And I think that, you know, it's important as well for them to kind of rule out any other potential causes of symptoms and and bearing in mind, obviously, fatigue and a lot of the other different, you know, symptoms that come as part of CFS um, or ME, you know, they also overlap with various other conditions, autoimmune conditions, thyroid problems, Mm. you know, cancer, sleep disorders, all kinds of things. So I think from that perspective, definitely kind of ruling those out. But also there there is therapies out there that, that had been kind of given on the NHS. I don't know, essentially the NHS had different treatment modalities for chronic fatigue and ME patients. And those were um, graded exercise therapy and um, cognitive behavioral therapy. And cognitive behavioral therapy is a form of talking therapy where you essentially kind of break your problems into parts and you kind of thought processes, actions and behaviors. And you you learn the tools to try and, you know, understand how, how the mind and body essentially are connected, which I think is really important and really, really beneficial and really empowering to support your health and physiology. But the problem was, and the same goes for graded exercise therapy as well, which I'll I'll talk about in a moment. But with CBT, it was very much kind of framed as a treatment modality. And again, in the sense, it was framed like, oh, your problem is psychological. So therefore, if you do this, you and it was it was also it was framed as a curative therapy. Um, There was a trial called the PACE trial, um, which was, I think, one of the UK's largest uh, randomized controlled trials on chronic fatigue syndrome and ME. Um, And it looked at these therapies, CBT and, and graded exercise therapy, and it was positioning it that this was a cure, but actually they were finding, particularly with graded exercise, that this was making a lot of patients worse. 
Um, yes, I read yeah. that. <laughs> and so now yeah. the NICE guidelines, the um, the NHS guidelines have now reframed that narrative. Uh, they've completely scrapped graded exercise therapy from, mm. from their treatment, I say treatment uh, support tools altogether. And now they just use CBT, but more as a supportive strategy. And I think reframing that narrative is important for for patients to understand as well, because, you know, it's really empowering for them to know that, you know, this isn't a, a psychological condition, but we do know that we, yes. because it's physiological, we know that the mind and body are interconnected and that we can actually make useful steps forward in terms of, of working through that. And then that, that will be a beneficial tool. Definitely. And we'll definitely come on to that. I do want to touch on long COVID because there does seem to be a crossover in symptoms. And I guess that is completely right when you think that COVID is a virus and this is a post-viral fatigue, an extreme form of post-viral fatigue. And talking to other functional medicine doctors, it seems to be affecting those who have a lowered immune response potentially or predisposition factors, and that might be mast cells, it might be being overweight, you know, more more than a healthy weight, it might be having a poor nutritional support, you know, these are factors that can potentially come into play that might make you more susceptible to long COVID. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, in terms of the link between chronic fatigue syndrome and long COVID, well, ME-CFS and long COVID, there are a lot of overlaps to the point where there are some people now just being diagnosed with something called post-COVID ME slash CFS. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and (laughs) and we're just left with this kind of A, B, C, D, E, F, G of symptoms and names and things like that. But I think there is a huge overlap there that's, you know, not to be denied. And like you say, you know, SARS-CoV-2, COVID is just another virus that also can cause that cascade, that classic never been well since scenario and this boatload of symptoms. So, so yeah, there's definitely... There's definitely an overlap. I think in terms of saying that they're the same thing, I'm not so sure yet. We c- we can kind of put them in the same camp, the same cluster. Um, but I think in terms of kind of the research now that's been pledged towards long COVID, that's going to really help in terms of our understanding of ME, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia as well. And, you know, all these different types of of symptoms that have been essentially just kind of left in the corner of the room for a long time. And I think it's only a positive that it's going to raise awareness. But yeah, there's an overlap, but we just don't know exactly Mm. where that lies. And before we come on to talk about management and strategies, what might be the connection with mast cells? I've mentioned mast cells, MCAS and allergies, for example. So yeah, so so mast cells, um, essentially these are cells that are all over the body. So they're on our skin, they're in our gut, they're in our respiratory system, they're literally everywhere. And they are very important in the immune system, um, particularly as one of our first lines of defense. And they are constantly kind of analyzing our environment. So if anything external activates them, then they can spill out lots of nasty chemicals and inflammatory chemicals. And particularly one of those is histamine. And so what happens in mast cell activation syndrome is essentially uh, these mast cells basically become overexcitable and they they can become stimulated by, again, any form of stressor. So in the same way, kind of the body sensitive to activity with post-exertional malaise, it's a little bit like with mast cells, these, these are becoming quite sensitive. And this is why people can have a lot of these allergy symptoms, whether that's 
um, you know, responses to a lot of chemicals in our environment, whether it's certain foods. And we do tend to see a lot of food sensitivities and intolerances in chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, Mm. And, you know, whether it's, again, uh, any kind of response to stimulation. So it could also be stress or rapid temperature changes, like the minute it's hot outside or, you know, you get pollen in the environment. So it's as though these mast cells are just becoming very hyperactive. And so, yeah, we do start to see that in terms of, you know, potentially what could be going on in a subcategory of those kind of CFS patients as well. Um, As I say, if we think of it as an umbrella, then we can kind of think, okay, because because somebody might be listening to this who has CFS and they might be thinking, okay, I don't I don't necessarily have those kind of allergy symptoms in that sense. But some people might, mm-hmm. I, as I say, it's, there's a kind of different things and different tensions within this kind of camp. And that's that's why it's so complicated. Okay. Well, let's come back in just a moment to talk about strategies that can help, like diet, for example, meditation and the different therapies. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, I hope you're really enjoying this week's podcast. And before we dive back into our chat, I wanted to share the podcast love and let you know that I've been enjoying the Desert Island Dishes podcast hosted by Margie Nomura. Now, Margie is a chef and a food writer, and each week she asks high profile guests to share seven 
desert island dishes, uncovering the food experiences that have shaped who they are today. Well, this week I listened to her interview with fellow beauty founder Jo Malone, and she shares her extraordinary journey from life on a council estate, leaving school with no qualifications, to founding two wildly successful global brands, all thanks to her incredible sense of smell and a healthy serving of grit and determination. And I was intrigued to discover the dishes that fueled this journey included celebratory Chinese takeaways and crispy round the edges lasagna, where you can find Desert Island dishes wherever you're listening to this podcast. Go on, take a listen. Let me know what you learn. OK, back to our chat then. Moving forward then, there obviously isn't a complete cure But there are so many different ways to help manage and improve, aren't there? And I know I've witnessed Lily's journey over the last seven, eight years, trying so many different things. Let's start actually by talking about your wonderful mum and her investigation of naturopathy. I love the fact that your mum plays a part in this, just as I'm hoping to play a part in Lily's recovery. I was going to say it actually sounds a lot like you with your daughter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about it. So, yeah, so I think with that, obviously, I told you, the, the first half of that journey there in terms of kind of you know going around the houses with the doctors and and not necessarily finding any answers and I think that's kind of where my mum just bless her were being worried sick she kind of ended up doing a lot of kind of deep digging and you know looking online and and searching for other answers and I think she kind of had read stories of other people going through similar stories and looking at blogs and and just learning about lifestyle medicine and and how you know there are certain avenues that we can take in terms of working on our gut health you know we, we basically started working with a naturopath and a nutritional therapist and in terms of kind of functional testing and really kind of deep diving and I think it it becomes a journey doesn't it and we very much rode it together and you start to learn a lot about yourself and you start to learn a lot about what makes you tick you learn a lot about I I certainly learn a lot about kind of my stress response and I think that was a huge huge part of my journey in terms of my nervous system just being completely out of whack Um, and that helped me in terms of navigating things like activity um, and pacing myself when it came to exercise and things like that But also a big part of my journey as well was looking at gut health and and really kind of restoring my gut terrain and and just working on rebalancing my microflora. And I learned all about the microbiome and just how important that is in terms of, you know, our widespread health, because it connects with all of those different systems that we've just discussed, our immune system, our hormones, our nervous system. So, Well, it's obviously a key area of interest for me, having written the Good Gut Guide many many years ago and also seen Lily's journey and the different things that she's been taking for her gut health. And in fact, I remember in the early days, she was taking various quite intensive medication and that actually trashed her gut. So she ended up with this double whammy that the medication that she was on was given her stomach ulcers and and gut dysregulation. What were your first steps and what would you suggest to somebody listening here who thinks, right, I'm going to start with the gut. I'm going to start with getting that back into shape. What would you suggest somebody does? Well, the first thing I did was I did a stool test um, with a practitioner and that really kind of helped me to deep dive into what was happening within the kind of communities of microbes within my gut. I had 
dysbiosis to the point where I had kind of an overgrowth of really disruptive types of bacteria. I also had parasites thrown into the mix as well. So I had blastocystis hominis and diantomy perfragilis and I had some candida. So, so there's a lot of kind of imbalances going on. And I also wasn't breaking down my food properly as well. And, and I also kind of quickly came into in tune with an understanding of nutrition in terms of how that impacted my health because before all this I I mean I was a pescatarian and so it's interesting because I always thought that I I ate quite well and as a student at university I'd always you know I tend to cook my meals mostly from scratch but saying that I was probably eating quite a refined carb heavy diet I was you know sure. eating lots of Most students are. And, yeah yep. <laughs> and yeah exactly and the yeah. cheesy lasagnas with you know, like a meat substitute and things like that so um I, I also wasn't chewing my food properly as well I think I was stress eating mm. and so I went on this journey of just understanding exactly what the drivers were in terms of my case and I explored an elimination diet to find my food intolerances and things that were kind of disrupting my gut so I kind of took things out that just needed I just needed to kind of give my gut some time for TLC. <laughs> so do, do you mean sort of taking the, the main you know the, the main drivers out that can trigger a lot of people's you know such yeah, as exactly. lactose and gluten and sugars? Exactly yeah so so gluten, dairy, alcohol and sugar um, and I'm not I'm not actually gluten dairy free now um, and I've kind of moved away from that and I do think as part of that journey and I think anybody going through chronic illness, because when you're trying to navigate your triggers, you're trying to figure out potentially what's, you know, adding to the cascade of crashes and things like that, because food definitely yeah. would set set me off in terms of especially brain fog if I ate. I think it was if even if I had like a little bit of alcohol, you know, that would completely it was as though my body would just go on fire. <laughs> my brain would go on fire. So I'd so I'd really feel it. Um so I was, you know, very much teetotal at one point sugar-free and then I did gluten and dairy-free and whilst those you know really did help me and 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 I would definitely say they have a place in terms of kind of dampening down the inflammation situation especially when it comes to our gut Um, and obviously we know that that leads to our widespread health and well-being in the long term it did give me a little bit of a negative relationship with food because it made me a little bit phobic about those foods in terms of right you know uh, and I think I think when you go through chronic illness you you sometimes narrow your world a little bit because Mm. because you you are so used to being knocked down by various different symptoms and various different things, you know, whether it's exercise, whether it's foods, whether it's, I don't know, chemicals in your environment or whatever. It's as though you start to then adopt these avoidance behaviors. So when you avoid, you then start to think that ever, ever introducing that back again is then going to kind of set you off um so and and I had to really work on that because I'm really passionate about you know having a positive and embracive relationship with food especially when you're dealing with a chronic illness and you know it's about working on the terrain but also at the same time working on that stress response because we know that the mind and body are connected and if your body is not in an environment where it can restore and recover then you know you're not necessarily going to get anywhere so whilst elimination diets for recovery certainly have their place 
you know, there are a lot of people with, you know, CFS, ME, um, and obviously autoimmune diseases as well that will, you know, attest to gluten-free and dairy-free for for recovery. It's also about just having a bit of common sense there as well. And, and also personalization, because we know that everybody's uniquely different and we all have a unique food script as well. And, and that's a key part of our health. What about things like histamine? We're hearing more about that histamine intolerance and that having a key role in terms of MCAS with the mast cells yeah. and also impacting our immune system so yeah so histamine um is a substance obviously produced in the body it's released obviously by our mast cells in a response to whether it's injury or an allergic reaction or obviously if we have mast cell activation where they're just coming excitable but it's also found in foods so we do see histamine in things like avocados tomatoes um fermented foods like sauerkraut and even obviously alcohol and beers and um, so so it's something that's in the diet so there's definitely yes you know for some people chocolate unfortunately cho- yeah chocolate <laughs> uh, it seems to be everywhere yeah. Um, But it's it's definitely something that, you know, a low histamine diet can definitely be supportive for those, especially if you're somebody that has more kind of allergy symptoms as well. If you feel that histamine is something that's maybe a culprit for you and working on that because it's it's trying to achieve the right balance in the body because we can't avoid, you know, histamine. In, you know, we're always going to be eating foods that do contain some histamine level. And actually, the body needs a bit of histamine, doesn't it? The problem if, is if you have a completely zero histamine diet is that that can then impact the gut because our immune system actually needs a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. For the, for the immune response. And yeah. yeah and, and it's just about being able to break it down effectively. So there is there's an enzyme called diamine oxidase and that can help to, to break down histamine. And sometimes we have a histamine overload because we don't we have a deficiency in that, for example. Um, so certainly that can be an avenue to explore. And really the best way when it comes to, you know, avenues, if you do have a chronic illness like chronic fatigue syndrome, ME, long COVID, and you're trying to navigate those different food reactions is, is to keep a food and symptom diary, um, you know, for at least three weeks, um, just chart your symptoms, chart your foods, and just explore whether there's any connection. And it's not just necessarily food groups, but also food components as well like we just discussed whether it's histamine so trying to kind of whether it's working with a practitioner in this regard or or trying to get an understanding of the foods that contain histamine for example so you know what to look out for and the same goes for other types of food components like sulfur which is another part of this kind of mix as well so some people can have sulfur intolerance where they, again it's just an inability to kind of break it down and and we find that in like cruciferous vegetables and onions and garlic for example and then there's FODMAPs as well and that can sometimes drive a lot of the the digestive symptoms that we see in in CFS and, and there's a huge overlap with IBS and, and chronic fatigue syndrome as well so so that's kind of why gut health is also a key thing. One of the things I really love about your book is that you cover so many strategies and, and as a mum who's been been through many different things with Lily and when I kept turning the page I was thinking oh my goodness that's great oh she's included that oh oh great yep <laughs> yep great <laughs> NLP <laughs> breathing genetic testing supplements sleep napping and then I came to the the, the section that I love particularly cold water swimming yeah and, and cold therapy which of course I'm a great fan of talk to us about how that can have an impact here So that's really fantastic for, you know, boosting the circulation and really supporting lymphatics and also just kind of, again, resetting the immune system. So I always like to 
to try it's to be honest it's something I've fallen out of at the moment but I try to do it more so in the it's summer it's been months. a bit cold yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think when it's cold I just could never get myself to do it but when it's hot and I've you know I've come in from whether it's a gym class or something like that I'll I'll try and just kind of switch the shower and dial it down uh, but it's trying to kind of you're giving your body a bit of a reset because it's it's putting the body under a stress response in a way, but it's it's a good type of stress response because again, as I said, you're allowing this the circulation to boost. It's fantastic for the immune system. It can help dampen down inflammation and it creates all these you know anti-inflammatory chemicals essentially as you're kind of doing this this process of just almost shocking yeah. the body. Yeah, and it's it's just that alternating temperature. It's great for your kind of blood vessels. Absolutely fabulous. And, you know, as somebody myself without CFS, you know, I feel so much better for it. Before we go, there are a couple of therapies that I also want to touch on, which both of which have been extremely helpful for Lily and her journey. One is hyperbaric oxygen therapy, HBOT, and the other one is the lightning process. You also cover these in your book. Can we start with hyperbaric oxygen therapy? So hyperbaric oxygen therapy is essentially where you put the body into a chamber where there's increased oxygen and it essentially helps the body to, again, in a similar way to kind of the hot, cold contrast showers, it's again going to put a reset onto the immune system. So there are some studies now to show how that can potentially reduce fatigue symptoms in CFS and long COVID. So the the research is still in its infancy. And there's also one ozone therapy as well, where they're kind of administering ozone gas um, to people as well. And again, there's a lot of press on this. Um, I'm not 100% sure on the exact mechanisms of how they can help, but it seems to be something that's building traction. And I think, you know, again, and I think with these alternative therapies, you know, the many people are quick to kind of to judge them. But I think if something's not going to do any harm, then, then it certainly has its place because we can find various different benefits in terms of physiological systems and how they reset, you know, whether it's our immune system and, and even just to kind of get us from that, even if it's 1% improvement, you know, it's an improvement in the right direction. Sure, and I think that it's upward just, curve. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's just not disregarding those things because as I say, this is a very complex condition. And so it's trying to kind of understand you know, that we don't know everything, but at least we can try certain tweaks that that may benefit and that may help. But it's always a cost benefit exercise because when you're exploring alternative therapies, obviously they do cost money. And I think they that's always something to, to, to weigh yes. up as well. In terms of the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, so that's something that Lily's been doing. And she used to go to a clinic in London, which was very expensive, moving to the countryside. Interestingly, she found the multiple sclerosis charity locally have two hyperbaric oxygen chambers which they run at very low cost and they've been using them for a number of years to help people with MS and she called them and said listen I don't have MS but I do have CFS autoimmune whatever and they said absolutely come on uh, come on in and she's found that very helpful so I think you know there are resources around the countryside and there are organizations using them hopefully at a reasonable cost so it's definitely worth looking at, as is the lightning process, which is something that she was recommended by friends 
with CFS and she did it. And I'm delighted to say that it's helpful. And I'm delighted to see that it was in your book. So explain that, could you? Yeah. So so the lightning process was actually a part of my journey as well. Um, And it was hugely transformational for me. Um, I, I really, really benefited from it in terms of how I worked on my nervous system. And, you know, that's where kind of stress stress management really comes into the mix, I think. Um, so the lightning process is essentially, it's like a training program that basically incorporates life coaching and NLP principles. NLP is essentially um, something called neuro-linguistic programming, which basically works on the concept of neuroplasticity. The idea being that the, the mind is malleable and that we can essentially change our thoughts to change our nervous system to therefore change our health. And it operates on the premise of this mind-body connection. So it uses different kind of movement techniques, meditation-like techniques, and also, you know, life coaching tools and tactics. I'm sure you're familiar with it, Liz, and how it all works. But um, it's hard to explain, I guess, on a podcast, but you basically do these different types of strategies in terms of walking out this process of spotting whenever you're in you know, like a negative state. Um, but it's helpful for kind of whenever that stress response is is activated and alert. And I think that's, you know, something that's very common for those that are dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome, because, you know, we often go, or, or any form of chronic illness, we often go into that fight or flight mechanism, or we sometimes overanalyze our symptoms we can become very in tune with our body Mm. because I think it's it's kind of the way our nervous system likes to protect us If, if we have a symptom then our body starts to go on high alert and then we start to filter so you wake up in the morning you think how's the fatigue today how's the brain fog how's the gut symptoms how's the pain and all these different things so so it's a really brilliant way of just trying to kind of coach yourself out of that and just calm and reset that nervous system it helped me a lot in terms of kind of embracing more different foods back into my diet because I think that was where I'd spotted that I was going into Mm. to fight or flight around foods and I don't know if you've ever heard of the word nocebo. It's it's the opposite of the placebo effect. It's kind of like when you think something is going to affect you negatively, then it will. Yes. <laughs> and I was doing that very much around food. And I think That's because I was so fearful, oh, gluten is inflammatory. It's going to... It's going to cause this response. And, uh, and then it does. And then it did. You, you've literally talked yourself I, into I it. I talked myself the into it. The nocebo effect. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so it was just about working on, and I think as well with recovery from CFS, it's trying to eventually get back to a, to a life where you're not doing these restrictive behaviors like pacing and energy management and things like that to, to, to be able to, you know, keep symptoms at bay. It's, it's to get to a point where you're looking at your life through the lens of just living your life, not preempting a crash, not you know, worrying about the next food that's going to set you off and and things like that. And it's just becoming more carefree and just living your life through the ability to do things rather than think about what you can't do because you might have a crash or you might have a setback. And I think the, the, the longer you go without those kind of setbacks, I think that's the proof positive that you are in recovery. Um, you know, the, that's kind of more of a more evident. And it's all about building the evidence. And I always say that to clients, you know, build the evidence that recovery is possible. Focus on those mini wins and just also, you know, inspire yourself forwards, but always measure yourself backwards. Because, you know, it's so easy to kind of say, I'm not there yet, but actually... But you think, see how far you've come. Exactly. And and, and actually, the, the mm. person you are today would have dreamed of being here maybe yesterday, but you might be still focusing on what's tomorrow and what's next year. 
But, you know, you've got to think the person, like the person of me 10 years ago wouldn't, you know, would have dreamed about doing this today, for example. So so it's just always just having that perspective and, and also thinking of the positives of, you know, what you learn, because I think you do learn so many fabulous and really important things from having a chronic illness that it does guide you in a, in actually a really important life direction because you you actually learn the ability to have preventative measures for your overall health and well-being so you know you can help to reduce your risk of other chronic diseases like type 2 diabetes for example and you know you go on this journey of just learning so much and it's it's all self-development at the end of the day so it's trying to kind of see what lessons are there along the way? Well, Lauren, thank you. That is a very positive note to end on. And really grateful thanks for sharing your own story, as well as offering just so many real concrete lifestyle changes that can have an impact. And I wish you the very best of luck with your book. I think it's great. And I'm sure it will go on and help a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you so much, Liz. All so interesting, and I know that we will come back and look at several of those specific topics in the future, like the hyperbaric oxygen therapy and the lightning process. Well, next week, a deep dive into ultra-processed foods, and that is going to be incredibly eye-opening too. So make sure that you're here for that by following the podcast wherever you are listening to this right now. Oh, and if you'd prefer to listen to that episode or any other episode ad-free, you can subscribe to the Lizelle Wellbeing Show Plus on Apple Podcasts for a very small monthly fee. And once you're a subscriber, you get 24-hour early access to those ad-free episodes as well. And if it's my email newsletter that you'd like to land in your inbox every Friday, lizellwellbeing.com is the place to go to sign up. And in the meantime, you can always come and chat with me on Instagram. I am at Me, and my team here are at Wellbeing. And that is what Dawn did. She got in touch after listening to our episode on lichen sclerosis, a genital skin condition. And we had that episode with Dr. Sharin Lakani. So Dawn says, thank you. This is the first time I've heard lichen sclerosis talked about openly. I started to suffer about 13 years ago after a full hysterectomy. I was prescribed steroid cream and told I needed regular checks by the GP to be prescribed more. I have had one checkup in that time, despite me stressing to the surgery. It was the GP's advice to keep getting checked. Listening to your podcast, I feel so let down by my surgery as the condition can get so debilitating at times. Dawn, I am so sorry that that has been your experience. But I hope the episode has also made you feel empowered to keep pushing for what you know you need. Okay, until the next time we chat, go very well. Bye bye. The Liz Earle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, and is produced by Nushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.